Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Uh, but yeah, Townsend looks like he's so sure of confidence he's done that to his hairline. Um, <laughs> combined with- <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast, episode 67. I'm Daniel Taluk. I'm half to that's hope, 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 I'm Carl Anker. How are you all doing? Depends, actually. You, yeah. you, you going good, have hope? What's going on? Well, like, I, there could be billions of pounds rich and I still want my spaceship, so. I see. Uh, Carl, you want to give everybody the good news? This is your podcast as well. You might as well give everybody the good news. Or is it not something you just want to put out there? Oh, come on. Tell everybody about this, man. Don't be shy. I've got so many DMs already from people going, can you fix this? Can you fix this? Can you fix this? Yeah, they, I, that's what I was about to think. I was like, if you say it, then you're going to get a bunch of tweets like, hey, yo, can I get XYZ or XYZ, yeah. depending on where you live? A so, very yeah. nice gentleman wants me to find a tweet that he deleted back in March. basically carl got some good news so we're happy for him so you can follow us on twitter at talking tactics um you can follow us on instagram follow us on soundcloud we're close to 200 so if that's your preferred listening platform and you haven't already do that carl you're in charge of facebook i am indeed we've got double figures right now and we need to get that to quadruple figures by christmas so please like us on facebook uh, talking tactics. We're in there somewhere. Have a go. You can follow me at Daniel Taluki. Follow Carl at Anchorman six one six. Have hope. Tell the people about where they can find you on social media and your YouTube channel before we get this started. You can find me as Half Hope Football Hot and on my Twitter page at Half Hope Hot. Follow me or die. <laughs> uh, why are you wishing death on the listeners, bro? Anyway, um, yeah. Leave iTunes reviews or Apple Podcast reviews, I should say. I should be used to Apple Podcasts by now. Um, if there are five stars, we'll read them. We haven't got any um, in the past seven days. So somebody leave one. All right. So let's talk football. Where do I want to start? Let's start with 
Chelsea Arsenal. Why not? Uh, I've been surrounded by quite a few Arsenal fans since the 0-0 draw. And uh, they are somewhat happy considering their very poor top six record, especially away from home. Um, they're, they're really impressed by the performance. Um, you know, I think many people believe Chelsea were going to give Arsenal a hiding. Mm-hmm. And when the team machine came out with Sanchez on the bench and Ozil injured with a back injury, notice when I'm saying back injury, I'm doing air quotes. Um, you know, most people thought this was it. They're going to get absolutely hockey. So, Graham Sooner said they're going to lose. Henri said they'd probably lose. I think the majority of the Sky Sports presenters thought they were going to lose. And then what we got was good Arsenal. And when I say good Arsenal, I mean maybe streetwise Arsenal. Um, so you got a similar performance to what they got when they beat Manchester City in the 2-0 away from home or when they beat Manchester City in the 2-0 in the FA Cup semi-final. So they were streetwise. They were tactically fouling. They were doing a high press. They possibly could have won it if Danny Welbeck knew how to score. Um, I love Danny <laughs> Welbeck. But <laughs> Danny Welbeck finishes best when he doesn't know the ball is coming towards his feet or head. And yeah, they they you know Aaron Ramsey had a relatively good game. I think, yeah, Sed Kolasinic looks already great. Uh, Mustafi looks fired up once again. Uh, again, I've been speaking to some Arsenal fans and they said they're worried that Kolasinic will go the same way that Mustafi went. Because Mustafi, when he came to Arsenal, was great for three or four months. Then he got injured. And then he absorbed sort of the Arsenal sadness and got rubbish. Um, <laughs> the Arsenal sadness. And we're not, we're not sure if uh, Kalasnic and Lacazette will absorb the Arsenal sadness yet. But for now, they, they, look, they both look very impressive. Chelsea looked poor until Hazard came on, really. Um, William was trying to do bits, mm. but it wasn't quite working. I think the fact they brought Bakayoko in, in the second half was a tacit admission from Conte that uh, he lined up slightly wrong and that uh, Xhaka and Ramsey had the bettering of the Fabregas, Pedro, Willian sort of axis. Reason to be quietly happy if you're an Arsenal fan. Hopefully they learn their lesson. I don't think they will ever learn their lesson, but why not? I want to know what you feel about Arsenal playing, as Carl would say, streetwise. Is is not having Mesut Ozil a major factor in that? It perhaps is because I think look the thing with Ozil is this is that it's it's this whole perception thing. If Ozil is in the team because of the mystique that has been built around him by Arsenal fans and Arsenal people and how he's protected, once Ozil is there, then it's like okay, we have the best playmaker in the world, so therefore we've got to play it like this. And the way you approach the game mentally is different. Whereas if you take that mystique out of it and you take that baggage away from, okay, we have the best play playmaker, we know that he's amazing, then when you don't have that in you, then you have to play differently. And I think once that is away, then you pretty much have 11 guys working. We now have to pretty much operate as a team because we don't have that so-called flair player. We don't have that so-called luxury player. Nobody's here is luxury. We just have to go down and grind. So as our perhaps in a better state as a team without Ozil in there. But at the same time, it's um, tit for tat because without him, you know, it's like you don't have that playmaking thing when Ozil decides to, he wants to play. Do you think the kind of, who would it have been? Welbeck, Lacazette, it will be Trident up top. Do you think that's kind of what we're going to see with, with Arsenal not progressing this season? But could that be the front three next year if... Perhaps I read Ozo might want to go to United and reunite with um, Mourinho, Sanchez. He worked hard in the Europa League game, and you know, I saw a lot of Arsenal fans say, well, he'll fight for the team, et cetera, et cetera. But 
I think that's just what Sanchez gives you. So it's, it's still probably likely that he leaves either in January or next summer on a free. Do we think that that kind of it will be like as that Welbeck front is what Winger's going to have to have next season? And we're going to kind of see a, a change in philosophy from the kind of silky Arsenal football to something that's a bit more dynamic. See, Wenger is a very stubborn manager. Let's bear in mind him playing three at the back was the first time he played three in the back in nearly 20 years. And now he's playing the three at the back. He seems to persist with it, even though it doesn't seem to suit all of his personnel. Bear in mind, he played the three at the back to get the most out of Oxley chamberlain Bellerin and Aaron Ramsey. And now Ox is gone. Bellerin's had a downturn in form and Ramsey is still in this weird uh, eight and a half role. Um, this is the forever the problem with Arsenal, whether or not this sticks. So if you bring up the Europa League game against Cologne, you know, once you get past the late kickoff and what the German fans were doing or were not doing, um, that three at the back did not work. It did not work. And they only, Arsenal only got a foothold in the game when they reverted to a, a back four. Yeah, it had Monreal. It had two left backs in Monreal and Kalasnic in it. But it was only then they reverted. And this is the thing about Wenger. He seems to have learned the back three didn't work. And you, you thought he was going to play with a back four against Chelsea. And he went, no, I'm going to play a back three again. And you're going, ah, stop it. But then it turned around and Aaron Ramsey seemed to have learned how to play football again. So you just never know with Arsenal. Uh, I'd say that game, you can add to the 2-0, the two 2-0 victories over Manchester City as signs of Arsenal slowly maturing as and something that might happen. But I don't know if it will happen. My good friend, Johnny Gabriel, uh, Newcastle fan, he uh, is behind one of the most popular football manager uh, spin-off Twitter accounts. Uh, he's played this a copy of football manager up until 2032, where Romelu Lukaku is the PSG manager and other various things are going on. And something I find very interesting is what he says whenever he plays football manager over and over and over again. He goes, what happens is, uh, Arsenal under Wenger don't spend money, so they s- slowly accumulate hundreds upon hundreds of millions of pounds. Whoever takes over the Arsenal job of football manager spends all that money all at once and then asks to become great for four or five years. Um, and I think it's that thing again of Arsenal could be so much more competent if Wenger wasn't so stubborn and wasn't so allowing of so many of his various players to be mediocre. What? Theo Walcott has been at Arsenal for 10 years. Theo Walcott is eligible for a testimonial. Theo Walcott spent six years telling us he was a striker and then two years ago he went, oh, actually, I'm a right winger because Theo Walcott's painting not good enough. Crap. <laughs> yes, Halfo, he's crap. <laughs> um, and that's the thing. Maybe, maybe this trident of a Wobi, Lacazette and Wolbeck will work. But also, you, you don't know what Danny Wolbeck you're going to get next season. You don't know if you're going to get a Danny Wolbeck who can possibly get you 15, 20 goals a season or if you're going to get a Danny Wolbeck who runs around like Bambi on skates. Um... <laughs> And we don't, and we, you know, the jury start on Lacazette. I, I think I was reading reports on what Sunday. Would skates about... help Bambi on ice? Never mind. Go for it. Go ahead. It wouldn't. Uh, I was, I was reading a, a, a an alleged quotation from Mourinho about Lacazette, where he said, "Yeah, we didn't really look at him because he scores too many goals from penalties and he lacks the stamina for big games." I don't know if that's Mourinho being a twerp again. It probably is, or if the quotation. Whoa! Is true, but... Oh, what the hell? Man, please. look, you can. He's a twerp. Mourinho no, no, eye gouged no. the man with cancer. Did he have cancer oh. at the time of the eye gouge? He, no, he didn't. No, he's that was still a dick. Have hope. You have to admit, Mourinho's an asshole. Like, we all know this. 
I I I tend to disagree. So people have a wrong wrong perception. Wrong perception. Like he's. Uh, I, uh, yeah, but that uh, that's all I really have to say about Arsenal mm. right now. Is this a good version of things that can come in the future? Hopefully. Do I think those things will come to pass? Probably not. I think we saw good Aaron Ramsey because Ozil wasn't there. And because if you play Ozil and Ramsey in the same uh, midfield, let's say, against the top team, you, you're going to get overrun because they're too – like Aaron Ramsey isn't disciplined enough to stay and, and protect the back three. Um, and Ozil, he doesn't give you anything pressing-wise, or mo- most of the time he doesn't give you anything pressing. So if you play both of them at the same time, you don't press and you can't defend because Aaron Ramsey wants to go forward. If you have a Wobie and or um, Welbeck in your front three, you're going to get pressing, and Aaron Ramsey can be a little bit more aggressive in his in his forward runs. Um, and also, I think playing a big match without Ozil, I think Xhaka and, and the Ramsey kind of two, they were a bit more wise in this game. But if you had Ozil in there, I don't know what would have what would have transpired. Have hope, your boy Morata. Do we, do, do we think this is a game where Diego Costa could have given a little bit something extra to the team in terms of fight, in terms of just something different? It, it felt like Morata was a little bit too light, at least in my opinion, and I feel like Diego Costa would have been a little bit more ardent. I mean, look, this it was always going to happen, man. I think the, the fact is that Morata, which is what I've said before, Morata can play as a lone striker, but that is not his strength. You know, as in, he knows how to hold the ball up. He knows how to find the right pass. He knows how to control the ball and bring in other players. But there are people who are just where they're naturally adept at that position. And he just isn't. Diego Costa is naturally adept as being a lone striker. Lukaku is naturally adept as being a lone. They're just guys where this is just, they just, they they know this is in their blood. Morata really works with his strike partner. You know, I think in Spain, and for most Spanish strikers, they really work with another strike part with a strike partners. And you look you're looking at when you had Torres and David Villa, it worked well. So that's just really the issue that Chelsea are gonna have. Because and again, which is why I said like try it out, Batsoy and Marata. Just try it out and, and see what happens. Obviously, you now have to um, sacrifice a, a midfielder. Well, at least try it out because at the end of the day, all the matters is is winning. And if you have to sacrifice a, 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 a midfielder, whether it's Pedro or William. But Batshuayi and Marata actually make you far more dangerous in attacking, and most importantly, make you win. That's why. That's, that's how you roll. Huh. Hmm. So just one, one more thing, Carl. You said a lot of Arsenal fans were happy about the game. Could I suggest to you well, that I'd that's say, because they? I, I wouldn't say happy. Maybe satisfied. 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 We 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 can say satisfied. Uh, Arsenal fans were satisfied with the game. Could I suggest to you that's because the, they thought they were going to lose. And expectation is the root of all heartache. So if you have the lowest of expectations and you think you're going to get beat and then you get a nil-nil draw, you feel not bad. I went into the Manchester derby at the end of last season expecting the City to completely hockey us. And then uh, we drew nil-nil. And as I said before, the biggest goal event I celebrated last season was when Gabriel Jesus scored a goal in that derby and it got chalked off for offside. And we drew no no. I remember screaming in the pub and throwing beer everywhere, like, yeah, because because we got the draw. The beer was so quite maybe, expensive, wasn't it? Probably very expensive. <laughs> uh, I'm not really going to return to that place again. They tried charging five pounds for two packets of crisps recently, so that was a fun experiment. 
Um, but yeah, you know, if if you if you come off six nil, three ones, three nils, and other defeats to Chelsea, then yeah, maybe you'll take a nil nil, especially in you know. What's 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 the term? It's not the result, but the performance. The performance was encouraging. I think there are there are subsection of Arsenal fans who are beginning to get bored of Wenger and beginning to get you know they perhaps see Wenger's coddling of Özil as annoying, and you know hope described Özil as one of the best playmakers in the world right now. Uh, if he was one of the best no, playmakers, no, no, no. oh, easy, I did it. I said that. That is the mystique that Arsenal fans and players have of him. Yeah. Yeah, the reality is he's uh, a very good European midfielder who is underperforming in a side that's about to play in the Europa League. So that's the reality of the situation. And he's running out of contract time soon. And now he's got a back injury. Um, I think there's a section of Arsenal fans that have accepted Sanchez is going. And I think there's a section of Arsenal fans that have accepted Ozil will probably be on his way out soon. So to watch your side play okay-ish, against one of your most hated rivals without those two players? Yeah, I can imagine they're satisfied. Uh, we have a question. We can tie this in um, from at Brahimsky. Why do you think that Chelsea have started the season off poorly by their standards? What does the five red cards in eight matches allude to? Um, we've played Everton. We've played Tottenham and we've played Arsenal. If someone would have told me you play those three teams and you get seven points out of taking it. I would have thought the draw would have been against Tottenham and Wembley, but we beat them. So um, if you look at the table, the, the top two teams would be City and United. They've played Liverpool, Everton twice combined. So I don't know if we've started the season that poorly. Um, and I'd rather slow. No, you're fine. Yeah, you're yeah, third. yeah. And I'd rather slowly build than start off with like three nil, four nil, eight nil, and then yep. lose form over the season. It's it's a as half hope would say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So um, I'm, I'm bearing in mind how you started last season as well. So exactly, exactly. Just just quickly on that point though, Conte is he going to have another massive formation shift? Like he what what is he going to is he going to go back to four two four? Like three four three was what got us out of the funk last time. Does he have another revolution I, in his mind? I'm curious to see if if it gets to that point. I mean, uh, the revolution is that Eden Hazard comes back. Well, uh, when I said he was a new signing a couple podcasts ago, you were like, "Don't say that." But it was what, true. What? Look, look, <laughs> look! You are you are you are in third place with ten points, and first and second are the Manchester sides with thirteen points. Chelsea haven't started poorly. They had one freak game against Burnley. They beat the second best team in the land, uh, which is last season, which is Spurs. They were held by an Arsenal side, and what they absolutely demol like the three 0 against Everton. Yeah, it may have only said three 0 but you were so much better than Everton that day. In the same way that United didn't deserve the four 0 against Everton this weekend, you deserve so much more than the three 0 against Everton last in your previous game. Like Chelsea are fine, Hads will come back. I think the problem there is whether or not you were expecting Chelsea to win the Premier League this season, which I don't think many sides were. I don't many many pundits were. Even you guys who thought that Chelsea were going to win the league last season, you guys weren't saying Chelsea to win the league this year or even in the, your top two, I don't think, or three maybe. No, no, no. no. I think so, many, many, many football pundits had this as a Manchester one and two. Yep. The red cards against Arsenal is very interesting. So that's five red cards in the last four meetings, five meetings. This, this comment says Chelsea have... Five red cards in our last eight matches. So there were two against Burnley, 
Um, one in the Community Shield, one in the FA Cup final, and then the David Luiz one in this game, which would be the five. Why do our center backs feel the need to go on dribbles and adventures? I don't understand. Um, David Luiz dribbled himself into trouble. Cahill dribbled himself into trouble. Um, the Moses one in the FA Cup, I can kind of forgive because he was at least trying to make something happen. So he dove or the referee interpreted it as a dive. So he got in trouble. I don't really remember the, the Pedro one. He went did over he, the ball. Did he go over the ball? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Pedro raked the Achilles of... A... <laughs> Pedro scratched the back foot of an Arsenal player. Guys, grow up. <sighs> Uh, and then Fabregas, I just think he got two yellows. I think one one was for arguing a call, and then another one was for just a bad tackle. I think so. Chelsea players being ill-disciplined, trying to make something happen late in games, Would or you say ex- 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 except for Cahill. Cahill's just an odd. Is that indiscipline coming from the manager, or just players having a brain fart? The the Moses one is trying to make something happen. The Louise one, I think he saw Kalas in that coming and was like, this guy's not going to get over on me, so I'm going to get over on him. And then it just went bad. The Fabregas one is frustration when you're losing to Burnley. Pedro, I don't know what you're doing in a community shield, but he's he's wild at times. <laughs> I don't I don't, I don't know. It's it, I, I guess you could say it's kind of an interpretation of, or a, not an interpretation, but a, re- a reflection of the manager in a way. I can't speak to Juventus's red card situation in Italy. The, the Italian national team, I don't remember them having red card problems in Euros or qualifying, but he is an intense guy, and maybe that translates on the field to the players. Like, we have to do this, we have to do this, da-da-da-da. And then it just leads to mistakes, which lead to cards. But I don't know. It's it's odd. It's a freak thing. I don't know if it's going to be a, a, a recurring theme throughout the season, though. Um, somebody else will get the bug, I'm sure. So, Carl, you referenced it. We might as well talk about your club. What, what, what did you think about the 4-0? It was kind of odd that you guys were up 1-0 after a wonderful Antonio Valencia strike. I mean, you, you could say it kind of went centrally, and Pickford should have done better. But uh, the, the technique to get it on target, I think, was fantastic. Um, but Mourinho takes off Juan Mata, puts <coughs> on Ender Herrera, and you guys score three mm-hmm. more goals. He went yes. defensive. To go to be offensive, he's a conundrum. Four 0 new one one for Manchester United. So he got loads of one one draws last season. Now he seems to be getting quite a few four 0 wins. To go on by uh, play, adding a defensive player and then scoring more goals. Um, if you remember, very good tweet from a gentleman called Michael Edwards who says the very first football tactic I ever. He goes, remember when Roberto Mancini used to put on Nigel De Jong, which used to free up Yaya Torre and invented football tactics. It's sort of understood as an adult, like oh. This is what he's going to do now. He's going to bring on another defensive midfielder because that frees up tracking back responsibilities from a creative player. Uh, and I was on the uh, Deezer Defending in Numbers podcast with the gentleman from Squawker uh, last week. And we were talking about how this might be the end of 4-3-3 for Manchester United because what's what's going on right now is Mkhitaryan. And As I said last week or the week before that you guys are so dependent on him, it's almost ridiculous. Which is why you should get him at your fantasy squads, people. Incre- yes, everything Daniel was saying is correct. Uh, we are incredibly reliant on Mkhitaryan. So it didn't, the 4-3-3 didn't work against Stoke because Mkhitaryan is playing too far wide. And what you need him to do is be central. So as we talked on this podcast before, Marino doesn't essentially uh, coach the final third. He just gets some very expensive, talented players and leaves them to it. Uh, and in bringing on Herrera, he 
be brought on Herrera for matter, which moves Mkhitaryan central, and then Mkhitaryan is then your creative hub, and then starts spraying passes all around, and that's that's where the goals come from. Um, so Mkhitaryan came in; he got played wide when he was injured in the Manchester derby, the three-one last season. Got ghosted away, got his head down, looked like he was going to be sold. I was one of many people who thought Jose was going to ruin him, but now he's the most important person to the system because. Jose is just, I'm going to let Mkhitaryan sort everything out. Do you think it's maybe Jose realizes that if he puts on a defensive player, Everton are going to take initiative and they're going to feel like we can get on the ball and we can do something. But really in his mind, he knows if Everton have the ball, we can just counter and it'll just open more space for us. With with Mourinho, yeah, people have to realize that this guy, he looks at the opposition before focusing on his team and that's the difference between like a Mourinho and a Jurgen Klopp. So Mourinho looks at what are Everton's strengths, what are their weaknesses, how can we nullify their strengths, how can we exploit their weaknesses? And that is how he goes about winning his his, his game. So he looks at what Everton did. Because again, if this was Klopp, Klopp isn't gonna isn't gonna assess Everton because Klopp doesn't even look, look, look at tape. But Mourinho will read the, the tape. So every single decision that he makes in that game or any other game is how is this going to be is is all made in relation to the opposition that is how Mourinho's management works i suspected you'd answer that because then i wanted to ask carl do you like a manager that does that for for united do you want him so focused on the opposition that he doesn't focus on on his own team as you said to go back to that first point yeah Mourinho does have very intensive scouting reports on what the opposition does but I don't, I don't, I don't think this is the only manager in the Premier League or the only top six manager that you know compulsively scrutinizes what the opposition is doing. Fergie very clearly scouted his opponents beforehand. This isn't something new. Um, I don't think Mourinho, you know, Manchester United weren't particularly good against Everton. Um, they were constantly tripping over themselves to score goals. Rashford had a particularly poor game. And if you if you look at, if you look at the goals that United scored. The joke Harry, uh, Gary Lineker used on Twitter was it was nice of Manchester United to wait for Rain Rooney to get subbed off before they decided to tear Everton apart. Uh, I think it's just the case of Lukaku's goal was him mopping up his own free kick. Mkhitaryan's goal was a very well-worked goal. And then Manotti, just that. And again, individual brilliance. This isn't... I, I'd, I'd say it's an illusion. This is a bit of a mirage. United still haven't been tested that well. Um, for all of the talk of Everton being a lock to get seventh place, completely bereft of pace, especially in wide areas. Uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson for 45 million, while everyone thought it'd be a nice signing, he is limited. He's not He's not the paciest guy. You've got the problem of you can't start Wayne Rooney anymore because he's basically, you can't run as, you know, the body, the mind is willing, but the body cannot do what Wayne Rooney wants it to do anymore. I owe you twenty pounds. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and cash I that. Told you. Now. <laughs> and you, you know, they're, they're bereft. They're bereft of pace on the flanks. Ashley Williams had a horrid game. Jack Elko looked terrible in the Europa League against Atalanta, and they've got Angry Birds as a sleeve sponsor. So they. Sponsor who? Angry Birds. You know, like the the game where you like knock up. You you're trying to kill like the little green pigs. Yep. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Everton fans were happy about that. Um, a couple, a couple of Manchester United questions. Maybe there's three if I can find them. Um, is there a Martial Rashford divide from United supporters from Manchester versus those outside of Manchester? 
I wouldn't say it's Manchester versus outside Manchester, but there is a subsection of Twitter that call themselves Martial FC. You may remember all the free Martial chants that Man United fans had last season. Uh, and the problem you've got now is because you've got Mkhitaryan, Mata, Pogba sometimes and whatnot taking up some of those areas. It's now pretty much a straight fight between Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial for that wide left, wide left, I think, wide left uh, position. Uh, and at the moment, it seems like Rashford's starting. And when, you know, Rashford, he's young, he's great, he, he's incredibly courageous, he gets good take-ons. But Martial is just, you know, I'm a member, I, I'd, I'd probably call myself a member of Martial FC. I think Martial is, is just another level, especially in wide areas. Another extremely good player, man. That question was from at Mata's mate, aka Jason. Um, and he says, it seems as if England fans want Rashford to start whereas everyone else wants to see Martial. Could this break down by international support? Um, I don't think this will, will break down that badly. I think I think there's a generally good rapport between all the United players. Uh, you know, Rashid has his section and Martial has his section. If you know, if you believe in Blackchester United, <laughs> I think Martial... If you believe in Blackchester United, you drop Mata and you play both of them. Yeah. Blackchester. <laughs> If you if you if if you you know I remember I quite like the Spanish contingent as well. That's the problem. There's there's a, there's a lot of nice yeah. boys at Man United right now. It's a nice problem to have. Uh, Martial looks like he's finding his feet. If anyone saw him on Instagram, he uploaded a very cryptic photograph with him with a thumbs up and the back of a blonde-haired woman. So uh, he's back scoring goals on and off the pitch, shall we say? Yeah. Ah, Mason Boris as. Who would you rather have in your team, Hazard or De Bruyne? Um, Hazard is, is overrated, so De Bruyne. Hang on, me. don't use that word here. Hazard is overrated, so it's De Bruyne. <laughs> we, don't, we don't use that word here. You make a better argument. I don't know. I take De Bruyne because he can play. He can play. He can play wide. He can play as a ten, and now he can see he can play as a deep line playmaker. So he allows you many options. Um, Hazard is a more immediate goal-scoring threat, but I think... I want De Bruyne because Hazard, he, he flatters to deceive because you call him a goal-scoring threat. He's not. He really, he really isn't. The, the, the amount of times he gets into attacking positions and you just want him to shoot, and he'll, he, he takes another touch or he tries to find the more creative pass. His, his footballing yeah, brain like, is, is immaculate, but I, I wrote a piece maybe two years ago and it was the next. I don't forgot what the title of it, but the point, but the premise of it was, the next evolution in Eden Eden Hazard's game is greed. If he had the same goal scoring appetite as a Ronaldo, or a, even if he had the confidence level of someone like Balotelli, he would be top three. Uh-huh. He would be top three in really? the world. But he, but he doesn't. Ha- yeah, he'd be ahead of Neymar, in my opinion. Um, wow. Whoa! No! 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 If, if he had the greed, if if he that's got a, into those attacking that, positions, that's a and huge shot. if. No, that is a ridiculous. This, that was the point. I will entertain this. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I will, it's, I will. It's, it's, it's a, it, this is an alternate reality because I can't give him a new brain. But if he had that kind of Balotelli confidence, I'll say. I feel like he 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 wouldn't be scoring like 13 goals or 15 goals a season and eight of them being penalties or whatever it is. He would be up there with like the 25, 30 goal range. And if he's doing that, then I don't think people would would deny both both his technical ability and then his ability also to score goals. 
and create things. And that that's my issue with Hazard. So I'd rather have De Bruyne because I know what I'm going to get from it. You're going to get 15 goals a season from both these gentlemen. You're probably going to get double-digit assists from both these gentlemen. And it just depends on what what side you want to play as. I feel as if Hazard would be... If you want to build a side around Eden Hazard, maybe you're a, a slightly more counter-attacking, more rapid football uh, football side. I think you'd want to play. You want to play Hazard as in wide areas. Even though I think he's, I think one day he'll be fantastic as a ten. But I probably play him as, as a wide area in uh, a four-two-three-one or a four-three-three. And I think if I got the Bruyne, I'm going to play him as either the ten the wide member of that 4-2-3-1, or as we've now seen in Manchester City, he seems to be superb in that double pivot alongside David Silva. You're really splitting hairs there, but it, it also depends, you know, what do you want from what do you want when you watch a game of football and and who is more aesthetically pleasing to you right now? And right now is De Bruyne. Yeah. And also I think De Bruyne gives a little bit extra on like set pieces and corners and things like that. These set pieces now for Manchester City have added a, in just a fantastic new element. There, to that there was play. one cross that he had against Watford that I don't know exactly. Like the way he contorted his body and got his right foot on the ball and it found, I think it was David Silva at the far post. They didn't even score a goal. I don't know if people would remember it. The De Bruyne is the best crosser of the ball in the world at the moment. Fine. Christian, Christian, Christian Eriksen would argue with that. No. Uh, Eriksen's not in great form right now. Yeah. Uh, Name me a better crosser than them, the De Bruyne. Name me a better crosser. I'd I'd say for form right now, I think I don't know I don't know where where he's developed this. He must have practiced it over the summer. But I it's quite funny that you know Manchester City scores six goals and we decide to talk about a nil nil first. But yeah, it's, it's against it's, Watford, though. Come on, it's it's an amazing new it's an amazing new attacking element that Manchester City have added because from these far corners, from 35, 45 yards out, maybe 50 yards out, De Bruyne can whip him in so accurately with such pace that John Stones is now getting braces. It's ridiculous. It, it's such great... It's such it's such a great new option. Uh, so, no, now you've got... So what? If Aguero doesn't score as the 10, Gabriel Jesus will score as your goal poacher. If Gabriel Jesus doesn't score, you're going to get Sterling, Sane... Or Sterling or Sane are going to be doing damage. If neither of them score, you've got David Silva or you've got De Bruyne going to do you damage. If neither of them score, you've got Mendy and Kyle Walker whipping in low crosses, which loads them. Kyle Walker can comes cross. Sorry, don't mention Kyle Walker's name. He, he's he's crap. <laughs> if if neither if 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 Benjamin Mendy can't kill you with a low cross, if that doesn't happen, De Bruyne will just take a set piece and whip that in, and John Stones will score. Like this, Manchester City looked very, very good at the start of last season, and then they fell away. So I'm, I'm still just waiting for one more big test for me to say, yeah, they're going to run away with it. Let's, let's, let's cut the crap. City are winning the, the Premier League. I said they were going to win the Premier League in my hype beast piece. Uh, I think I'm a lot more interested now in how many goals they're going to score this season, regardless. I think, I think do you, we do, whoa, possibly... do you do you think that record's under threat? Is it 105 that Chelsea scored in 2009, 2010? I think they can score 100. If 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 nah, Aguero, if Aguero and Jesus, I mean, if Aguero and Jesus stay fit, you what? You also got to bear in mind that uh, Gundogan's coming back. Bernardo Silva's barely had a run in. This is a frightening potential front six. I'd make a my hot take from this week is Man City are going to finish the season having scored 100 goals in the Premier League. Okay, have have hope. Just just lastly on this before we talk about Neymar and Cavani, um, yeah. <laughs> you are like the the, the leader in the Gabriel Jesus fan club, right? Um, yep. 
you said I think I think I saw this during the game in passing that like Gabriel Jesus is going to win Player of the Year or something like this. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever had a, a lengthy discussion on this podcast. It's been like a year and some change now about Sergio Aguero. Do you feel as if Aguero is more important to City than Jesus, or are you still just going to bang this Jesus drum? Basically, my thing is this is that okay. This let me break it down now. Pep Guardiola prefers Jesus to Aguero, but Aguero has proven in the Premier League he's more prolific. We do not know how prolific Jesus can be in the Premier League, but we saw what he did last season and how many goals he scored before he got injured. And we're seeing what he's, he can already do this season. I'm not even including all of the offside goals that he's already scored as well. So my thing is that if he can get Aguero and Jesus to play in the same team together, City are going to kill it. That's they nobody can catch them. So I think Guardiola sees the importance of Aguero because at the end of the day, it's about scoring goals. Even if you don't like how he plays, even if you don't think that he really fits into your philosophy of how you want your players to move off the ball, he scores goals. And that's all that matters. So he's like, look, mate, if you're scoring goals, mate, you're in my team. <laughs> so that's 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 the dealio. Just that Aguero is completely crap and hopeless for Argentina, just like Messi. So <laughs> he can't help himself. Always with the international shots. Go ahead. If Carl. I might, so Aguero became the highest goal-scoring non-European the well, weekend yeah, before yeah. this Watford game. And what what's happened in this system is Aguero has gone back to how he used to play for Atletico Madrid. He's reverted back to a, a ten-type figure so what happens is he's playing in between the lines and what that does is it frees up Gabriel Jesus to just be a one shot one goal type of person so Jesus like a lot of the goals he's scoring are just first time shots which is remarkable like says a lot to both these boys confidence Mm. um like Aguero's third goal like I haven't seen him do that in a long time just kind of like dribble through six well not six it was maybe like three or four guys and then the the finish like, does he mean to put that English on the ball? I don't know. But, like, uh, kind of like where he's at right now, I wouldn't put it past him. But just the way he kicked it, got the spin, it went in. Man- Manchester City looked great. They looked scary. I-, I-, I tweeted about this before. Playing Aguero as a 10 frees up Jesus to just focus on scoring. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is still notching assists. So I think Jesus has been directly involved in five of Manchester City's last goals, which is a ridiculous record for a teenager. Um <laughs> Uh, and someone said this is a very similar thing to what Diego Forlan did to Aguero when hmm. uh, they were both at Atletico Madrid in Seattle. So when they were there, Forlan was playing as a 10 and Aguero was pretty much just going to score one shot, one, ta- one, one touch, one goal, um, which is a very interesting turn of events. And Aguero seems to be happy. He seems to be enjoying dribbling again. As long as you don't hear reports of him saying, I don't care about training, I'm going to score a hat-trick on Saturday anyway. I think right now, Jesus is scoring a lot of goals, but Aguero is more important because if Aguero goes down, what happens of Jesus? Whereas if Jesus goes down, we know you can put Aguero up top and he's still going to cause problems. No, he'll still ball. He'll still ball. Trust me. I'm not saying saying he won't. I'm saying one is more of a known quantity than the other because one has scored 129 plus goals in the Premier League and the other one has scored 10, maybe 14. Fair enough. enough. Uh, I'm I'm assuming if Aguero does go down, De Bruyne will get pushed up into the 10. Bernardo Silva will come into the deep-lying playmaker role. Or Yaya Torre will come next to David Silva. Hamatis, he'll be fine. They'll completely. be okay. Yeah. <laughs> they'll they'll be okay I'm, if he gets I'm injured. assuming it'll be fine if if one of those gets injured. It'll be very interesting. And I think that's, that says a, that's a lot of credit to what 
all of the tools Manchester City have at their disposal now. They still need cover in centre midfield and they still need cover at centre-back because they're only two injuries away from playing Fabian Delph or one of the academy kids. <laughs> Fabian Delph. <laughs> yeah, well, Carl, just, just, just get some water and I'll ask, ask have a question. Um, this is from Theo Mosby. He has, how far do you think the Manchesters can go in the Champions League? I think Manchester City at best can get to a semi-final. I think Manchester United at best... Mm, maybe a semi-final, but I'd, I'd probably go quarters. For United, I would say um, quarters, and City can get to a semi. No, yeah, so we agree. Wait, like City, I think can really cause a lot of trouble. trouble. Just as when you when you've got clowns like John Stones and brain dead people like Osamendi and defending. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's my only issue. Is like when you reach a semi-final and you're against Bayern Munich, you're against Barcelona, Real perhaps Madrid. you're against against Real Madrid. Can your defense defend? And I'm still not there with with Manchester City. It's all it's all well and good mm-hmm. keeping clean sheets and beating Watford six nil. But when you're under the those, those the floodlights in the Bernabeu, I I still need to see that. Uh, Mangala's back. <laughs> Don't. Human <laughs> <laughs> yellow card, man. Uh, I just want so- to remind you. I just wanted to remind you he was back. He he played ten minutes against Liverpool, I think. Apparently, it's not like I watched it intensively, but apparently he was good at Valencia last year. So we'll he's gonna get he's gonna get games. He's probably gonna play this week in the uh, league. Well, exactly. In the league <laughs> I was like, I was like, what are you gonna call it, uh, league cup? Uh, so I guess just lastly on the Premier League here, um, we gonna talk about Rio Ferdinand boxing. Or... I'd much rather talk about the bottom of the table. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, it would it would be interesting to see Rio Ferdinand in a boxing match. He has a punchable face. Now that I think about it, <laughs> the heck? You know what I mean? how does he have a punchable face? Based on yeah, people just have punchable faces. Rio Ferdinand has a punchable face. It um, does look quite rubbery inside. Yeah, you know, it looks like a Cristiano has a very punchable face, man. That's Cristiano does been... have a punchable face. Like people like Diego Costa don't have punchable faces. If you know what I mean, Cristiano, Cristiano has a punchable. face. I understand. Yes. So. Palace root to the bottom. That's five games now. No, no goals. Have you seen their schedule? <laughs> you want to enlighten the people, Daniel? They play City away. They play United away, and then they play Chelsea at Selhurst Park in their next three games. They're gonna have no points after eight games. <laughs> will they have? Will they have a goal? Yes, a penalty, something weird like a free kick or something, and Townsend or Caballo score. You can't not score after eight games. I don't know how much either of you gentlemen go in for expected goals, but I checked uh, Mike Cali. He's M underscore C underscore A on Twitter, I believe. And uh, Crystal Palace, uh, would you like to guess what their expected goals are right now? I'm sure it's kind of high. Ruben Loftus-Cheek has been fairly decent. Benteke's had a lot of chances. So in they've played, what, four, five games? Yep, it's five games. How many? Five how games. Many? I'd say their expected goals would probably be nine. Uh, half hope. Do you want to have a guess what their expected goals is? Six. No, s- seven. I'm gonna go seven. Six. It's five point five. That's what we will. They their expected goals for the Southampton game was one point seven, and Southampton's expected goals was zero point nine. So this is a team dreadfully short of confidence. I don't know how many uh, football fans. Well, neither one of you are Liverpool fans. But there, there's been much talk of Christian Benteke completely lacking the mentality to play for a big club. 
he's he's very much an arm around the shoulder. He's very much a confident striker. He he very much is a once I get one, I can score three more. And then if he doesn't score any for a while, his head goes down and he can't do anything. He's a striker who needs love, and he's playing god awful right now because he's not. He's completely shown of confidence. I still think we were um, robbed of like one of the best European strikers if it weren't for that Achilles injury. You're that, one of the very few people that bring this up, which I that, find no, 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 because the the game I remember was Villa Liverpool, and he destroyed Liverpool. And if he didn't have that injury, because those are killer injuries, man, those Achilles, man, you never quite really get back to the kind of powerful, pacey player that you were. If that didn't happen, he would have been amazing. Because he still has, he's still six four, so he's still going to be able to head the ball and mm-hmm. be a be a target man. But having the pace to get in behind people um, and just make runs at people is not. He doesn't have the same explosion. So I just feel really, really bad that uh, that that happened to him. It could just simply be the injury, but he looks he looks completely sure of confidence. Um, obviously, Zaha is out injured right now. Big blow. Uh, which is a big blow. Townsend looks, yeah, bald. <laughs> Did he, did he tattoo in his hairline? Or am I making that up? Uh, but yeah, Townsend looks like he's so sure of confidence he's done that to his hairline. Um, <laughs> Kabai looks... How dare! I was about to stop. <laughs> we say some rude things on this podcast, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, man. That was... <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> thing is, so basically, that's that's what he's resorted to to boost up his. his confidence. <laughs> oh god! Uh, Kabai looks either neither fit for purpose or okay. he just can't be bothered okay. anymore. Oh. And and uh, they didn't they didn't look particularly better than on the, the how they were on the Frank de Boer. Yeah, it might just be a case of they've been touched of the breath of the bottom four by January so they can buy in some more players because they look awful right now. That's all I've got to say about Palace. Newcastle look great right now. New, new, in the complete opposite, Newcastle are performing above the sum of their parts thanks to Rafa Benitez. And, this is still and, early, man. Still early. I mean, Rafa Benitez is very clearly unhappy with Mike Ashley not giving him the funds to buy targets. But what it's done is it's, it's created a, a, a siege mentality in the good way of all these players wanting to fight and, and and play out of their skins for Rafa. So they've got a small squad. And if you look at Jamal Las Lasquet, their uh, 23-year-old captain, he scored two-headed, two-headed goals, two winners, and Newcastle are fourth in the league right now. The, regardless of what happens, I think the, their fans are going to have a really enjoyable season. Your it's, boy it's scored great... over the weekend um, at Sue. He got his goal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be... It's a, it's a great uh, marriage of coincidence. Uh, as someone said on Twitter, uh, a man who realized he wasn't capable of feeling love, managing a side that can only give love. So uh, I'm enjoying watching Newcastle right now. Um, <laughs> I'm still recovering. We got another question from Theo Mosby. He asks, <clears throat> why are Chelsea loanees often top three to their loaned out clubs? Um, I, I think it's just decent business. Chelsea realized that their loanees often won't make it at Chelsea, so they're trying to sell them on um, for profit. So they try to find good clubs to where they can be put in the shop window, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Uh, better their young professionals, increase their transfer value, and put them in good situations where they hopefully can flourish. Obviously, there's the Vitesse thing. There's a few players, I think, at Huddersfield. 
there's Ruvanoftis Chiket Palace. There's they're everywhere basically. They're in Turkey. They're, they're we have a goalkeeper that I think that's never played, but he's been on loan like for the past decade almost. Like yep, your longest serving player has never played for Chelsea. Yeah, so we just the the, the club just tries to find the best places. Um, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. All right, have hope. Let's mm. talk about AKA the truth. Uh, we got a question from Rahimsky. It says, based on the Cavani-Neymar situation, do you think seniority on a team should be the deciding factor amongst teammates for penalties and free kicks? And Football God also asks, is Neymar going to get rid of Cavani soon since they have some issues with set pieces? All right, so basically Neymar, most expensive player in, in, in the world, all set to surpass Messi version in the next few years. He's obviously the face of PSG. PSG bought him for a consumer of 22 million euros. So because he's the superstar, and Neymar's been told he's a superstar, he now feels like, wait a minute, I, if I want to take a penalty, I should take a penalty. If I want to take a free kick, I should take a free kick. But Kovan is like, I am, I've been here longer than you. I am the designated penalty taker. And for free kicks, well, again, you're just coming in. I would not have decided who takes free kicks. So there was beef between who's going to take the penalty. Cavani got the ball. Neymar said, I want to take the penalty. Cavani said, nah, chill. Four, four back. He took the penalty. Neymar was pissed. Cavani wanted to take a free kick. Devani Alves comes in, holds the ball. Preference, Cavani touches the ball and gives the ball to the Brazilian boy, Neymar. Now, the issue here is that is Emery. Because Emery has come out and said they should sort it out between themselves and you know, that, that, that is an internal issue, which they should be decided because they're old enough to do that. You're the manager, and because you're the manager, you've got to... And it's just very simple. You do this in management games. This is penalty ticket number one, penalty ticket number two, penalty ticket number three. Free kick ticket number one, number two, number three from the right angle, from the left angle, from the central angle. Once that happens, then there are no arguments whatsoever because you don't... Because it is very unprofessional if you're in a pitch and it's like, it's not half guys, I don't know about penalty. But this is why Neymar moved. He's finally getting the respect he deserves. So people need to stop hating. So no, but whoa, 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 whoa. So so you don't think Emery should it's his fault in this in this case. Because he's he's giving the players too much responsibility in a way. He should like we've all been in locker rooms to a certain point. Like if, if there's if, in basketball, the coach tells you who shoots the technical free throw. Yeah. Like there's there's no guessing. You put your best penalty taker, you write it on the board before you go out for the game. Um, and and managers say, right, yo, this is who I want taking my penalties. It's on the board. Emery doesn't do this. He says, nah, you guys figure it out. Some managers do. Some managers don't. Alan, in this situation, you can't defer. With these egos, you have to, to, to step in. Exactly. Hang on, yeah. hang on, hang on. The the ability to defer very much lies in who the coach is. Not, it, does, it does, it does, it does. Carl's right. You are Unai Emery right now. You barely hang on, hang, hanged on to your, last, to your job last season, all right? So PSG didn't win the league. They crashed out of the Champions League. PSG owners have given you Neymar. They've given you Mbappe. They've told you, go out there and make us the next global mega club. Do you really, really want to possibly risk this by annoying either Cavani or Neymar? No. You much rather let them sort it out and save you the hassle of the three-hour phone call with Neymar's dad. All right? <laughs> Don't even risk it. Did you see the Don't meme? Did, did, did yeah. you see the meme? It was like oh, yeah, Neymar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was there, there's there's a picture online of Neymar and his dad, and Neymar's kind of pointing, and he says, "You see him, him right there, dad. He, that's Cavani. He won't let me take the penalties." <laughs> I, I think the interesting thing that happened was one, the goalkeeper saved it, 
and two, Danny Alves worked as a spoiler <laughs> to take the ball off Cavani for a free kick and gave it to Neymar. And I think what's interesting there is, I don't know if you ever read Ibra's autobiography. I heartily recommend you do. Or if you don't read the whole thing, I recommend you go on Grantland and read this segment where Ibra describes how he got his move from Barcelona to AC Milan. And now he just used a whole bunch of bricksmanship to pretend he was going to Real and then at the last minute went to AC Milan. What's mentioned in Ibra's book is how Daniel Alves used to be a spoiler in the Barca locker room for Messi. So mm. Alves used to do this job for Messi at Barcelona um, in terms of I'm going to take the ball and I'm going to give it to Messi right now. And it's very interesting that PSG have done are, are repeating this thing for Neymar instead, just going, I'm going to get, I'm going to get you a really friendly, affable guy in Dani Alves who isn't afraid to do the dirty work and like do the dirty work for you when you want to be a bit of a wanker. Um, yeah, Cavani would be more pissed at Alves yeah. than he would be at Neymar. So he's like a buffer between the star players in a way. Yep. Uh, and it's clever, I think... but it's, it's up to a player that's been told. Like, if you think about it from Cavani's point of view, he would be like, all right, Ibra left. I scored like, what, 35 goals in 35 games or whatever it was. And then you just bring this guy in. But I'm still like, I'm the only striker really at the club. I mean, I don't know who that backup striker is. The report generally are Cavani is happy because Ibra is gone, which makes Cavani the main man in terms of striking. So Neymar is never going to be the nine. And if Cavani goes down, Mbappe will get pushed up into the nine. So Cavani knows no matter what happens, he's always going to be the number one nine, which is great as for everyone else concerned. So Cavani is only happy. So if that happens, that's generally good. And look, this will this will all smooth over soon. You know, they'll they'll hockey another team next week. The fact that it was only one 0 against Leon was very interesting. So it might not be a complete canter. Leon's decent. They're not Mets. Yeah, Leon. Leon are going to be in the European spaces. They were Europa League semi-finalists last season before an amazing uh, semi-final tie against Ajax. And and they're they're very high scoring. I mean, they're gonna they're on the back foot now since they saw Lacazette, but they're they're a good side. They have the Fal- they have my son Traore. So Falcao scored either a brace or one goal on the weekend as well. So he's got something he's already got something like eight goals in the last ten appearances. Um, which is is, is a testament to his ability to bounce back from his ACL tear and also a testament to to Monaco and their setup and Jardim and him realizing that oh Falcao wasn't enjoying England not because he's rubbish but because he was playing for two sides that were smashing passes into his shins rather than allowing him to play into space. French football is very interesting right now. Um all right, have hope. This question is from Pac Mouse. He asks if Lewandowski is the best striker in the world right now, who else makes up the top five? So I need so he's he's putting Lewandowski number one. I don't know if we're gonna have too much disagreement there um, about him being number one. I wouldn't disagree. So who are the other four? As in just pure striker. Number nine, I think. Sergio Aguero. You gotta put in Sergio Aguero. Obama Young. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Cannibal. Uh huh. And when he's that? not partying in Brazil, you probably have to rule with. Okay, if you're saying as of right now, then because you can't really say Costa as of right now, so I'll say Jesus. You can argue that Jesus is a, is a striker. Come on, man, your agenda's gone too far. If you can put Jesus top five in the world, okay. So who's your top top five? Top five. Um, Lewandowski number one. I'd put Suarez number two. I'd probably put Higuain number three. 
Oh, give me a break. That guy, that's overweight. <laughs> guy. He's I not knew. playing for Argentina. He's not playing for Argentina. I knew, for- I knew no, no, no. one of us was going to say Higuain and one of us was going to really annoy have hope. But Higuain, Higuain's top five. He has to be top five. I, I put Aubameyang, either four or five, and... Harry Kane. I was thinking Kane. I was thinking Lukaku. I don't know which one to go for five. Aguero, maybe, still? He's like 120 Premier League goals. I mean, he has to be up there. I, I, I can't put Cavani there, even though I know he's good. He just annoys yeah. me way too much for me to, put, for me to give him top five. I think a lot of people think um, the, the depth chart, if you will, of uh, strikers in Europe isn't that good right now. But there's some decent strikers out there. I think there's a lot of samey ones, though. Like, there's Especially no standout ones other than Lewandowski and arguably Suarez. If you want to put the baller as a nine, I think the baller is... I know, I know the baller plays as a ten, but... Uh... No, he's not coming. He's not a striker. Give me a Yeah, point. yeah. He's like nine in... The man got a... He got a, fantastic, he got a fantastic hat-trick against Sassuño on the weekend. He is now... He's the first Juventus player to score in eight consecutive away games, if not in their history, but in a long, 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 in like since the 30s. Um, he's wearing the number 10 shirt, which is a historic Juve shirt worn by Platini, Del Piero and um, Pogba. If you looked at his finishes, he scored one superb edge of the box finish. He got a Ronaldinho style toe poke from a low cross and he whipped in a 25 yard free kick. He's going to be up there for one of the best forwards for the next four or five years, I think. If Argentina don't make here. the World Cup, though. Fine. That... Give, them, give them the rest. Honestly, look, if Argentina and Chile don't make the World Cup, it won't be a great disaster. Yeah, both that's a disgrace both, if Peru is in there. Both of those teams are knackered, all right? Give Alexis Sanchez the break. Give You know, you, you know the same way that uh, people want, like, a European Super League so where yeah. like the the kind of the the top six in the Premier League, they really don't want to be fighting to play for Europe because they feel like they just kind of deserve it. In the World Cup, there needs to be like teams that automatically qualify. Like Argentina, you should be in the World Cup no matter what. France, Spain, Germany. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't believe in that. If you're that crap, that they're gonna make it. What forty eight teams? I need Argentina better be in there if there's forty eight teams in the World Cup. They will. Argentina will be in there if they're forty eight teams. Don't worry. I need the, the good teams, even the Holland. I want them in. Yeah, Just, World Cup, uh, an international football tournament without. Holland, if you won the World Cup, if you have a star on your on your over your crest, you're in the you're in the World Cup automatically. Holland never won the World Cup. Remember this that. is true. If you've been in a final. Oh come on! <laughs> come on! Automatically, in, automatically. In. All right, so we have two more topics. Um, Dembele went down. He's going to be out for three or four months. Gerard yeah. Delafeu, this guy has so many lives because he's going to step right in, I think, to the starting 11. It's a, it's a horrible time to get injured, especially just the, the yeah, whole context of it. You're the second most expensive player in the world. You, you're starting a game finally um, for, for Barcelona. Yeah, and then you just get that, that bad muscular injury that's out for three or four months. How, how do we think this is going to impact Dembele's development, at least in, in the Barcelona team? It, it's terrible to say it, but Dortmund were wise to sell him now. Yo, you know what? I, I was—I forgot. I always hate when I when I think of stuff and I can't remember because this isn't an original thought, um, and I can't remember who said it. But but they were like Dembele held out at Dortmund, which means he really didn't get a big preseason, or he he wasn't able to warm up in the season, and then Barcelona just kind of throw him in the deep end. And yep. they were like, it's it's possible that him not having games to kind of warm himself up into the season 
it could have led to the injury because he, his, his body just wasn't used to. Oh, it certainly to, did. Uh, this this point was raised by Kev Byrne from Football London. He he tweeted it out there. There's probably going to be a very good study to be made about the players who go on training strike, miss preseason, get their move, go to a club, and instantly go down injured because you're not training uh, and you start the season at full pace, and ping, you get a muscular chair. It's it's a real shame. It's uh, like I said before. It you know if you're Dortmund, you're going whoo, glad we sold him. Um, <laughs> That's so tough. <laughs> he's never gonna cost, he's, he's never gonna cost that much again. Um, so you've you've turned a great profit on that guy. Um, Delafeu is a lucky boy. Barcelona fans seem to be quite annoyed at this. I doubt he's going to be out for four months. I think he'll probably be back by Christmas. Yeah, you just just need a really good um thinking management, man, 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 Jake, man. Like um. It's never the, the full monster as what people we'll say. Give him some, someone will give him some horse percent and it'll be fine. Um, <laughs> but it's a real shame. It's, well, hopefully, hopefully, I mean, it's a muscle rupture. It's a hamstring injury, which is, is always dangerous because the thing about hamstring injuries is they can become chronic. They don't. So a hamstring tear, a hamstring doesn't grow back at the same length it was before. So I, I've, I've spoken on this podcast before about how I've torn my hamstring. When you tear a muscle like that, it grows back. 20% uh, 20% decrease of what it used to be. So if you have repeated hamstring tests to the same leg, then that leg becomes can reach to places where it's 50, 50 30% as strong as it, what it used to be. Uh, it's a lot more of a common problem in UFC. So uh, I don't know how many listeners here know of the Diaz brothers. So the Diaz brothers oh, yeah. have, have a real bad problem with uh, cuts above their eye. Because um, through some reason, the bone behind their eyebrows is... The orbital bone? Is that what The orbital, yeah. The orbital bone is slightly more... Uh, is slightly bigger than your average person. Which means if you hit it with enough strength, it's slightly more susceptible to, to opening up and, and being revealed to cuts. Uh, not McGregor, not Nate, but Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz got his... Took surgery to get his file down. Nate Diaz has had the same cut on his right orbital's uh, bone three times. So they say, you know, you do it once and it goes and it grows back to maybe 80%. Do it again and it comes to, you know, 70 to 60 to 70. You do it again and it's 50%. He's done his enough so his right 50% of what it is compared to his left. So I've done my right hamstring twice. So now my right hamstring is 60 to 70% of what my left is. Can you feel it? On a cold day, I can feel my hamstring tight. My my hamstring is tight on a cold day, and I have to spend an extra minute, you know, minute, three minutes, maybe to up, you know, an extra up to ten minutes, giving my right hamstring a stretch compared to my left one because I know if that thing, you know, I've said it before, if my right hamstring goes ping again, I'm probably never going to play a game of rugby ever again mm. because it's it'll be fifty percent of what my left is, and it's just not worth risking it because once you get to fifty percent, you just it's a crapshoot, and especially. At, my level um and this is the thing you know it, the, the same thing happened to michael owen it's similar thing happened to torres you get two or three to the same leg kaput so we're hoping he's going to be fine uh the general consensus right now is it's quite similar to what's going on with pogba so the consensus is pogba went down with a hamstring tear last season and he was out for three weeks uh the manchester united doctors apparently hang on uh this is report in a british tabloid so take this with a pinch of salt so the, report, <laughs> so the report says the Manchester United medical staff told Pogba to 
to go and do certain stretches and take certain considerations after his hamstring injury last season, uh, after he was out for three weeks. Pogba, instead of following the United doctor's advice, followed his personal trainer's advice. So Paul Pogba uh, famously hired a personal chef and his own personal trainer at the age of 21 uh, when he was at Juve. He basically went, I want you to make the best player in the world so you could call my meals and you give me my own personalized training routine outside of the football pitch just to like train my body. And apparently Jose is very annoyed that Pogba took his personal trainer's advice rather than Man United staff's advice. And that is the reason why Pogba's out right now. And that's also why they're saying Pogba's going to be out for... I mean, if you look at the injury that he got, he shouldn't be out for longer than six weeks. But it's looking closer to he's going to be out till Christmas. It's, what? It's apparently, apparently the quote is he's going to be out for three months. Um, wow. Uh, again, British tabloid, take with a pinch of salt. Um, he'll be fine. I don't think Pogba's going to be the type of person who's going to ruin himself via injury. Um, yeah, and, and you know what? Even if he does, he'll always have... Well, if he ruins himself by injury, I guess that means he's ruined. But he's he's still technically gifted on the ball. Like even if he lost like a little bit of pace or a, a little bit of uh, dynamism, I suppose he's, he'll always be at least decent. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's let's talk about FIFA and Pez, man. Have hope, man. You keep telling them. You keep preaching to me about Pez is is the real this and that. I, I played the demo um, as I said I would, and I said if it was good, I'd admit it. It's I. Right. It's decent. It's very it's good. It's I. Right. So, that's it. <laughs> it's very good, my friend. Me saying Pez's eye means it's probably like really, really good. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was I. So, so look, I mean, let me just lay down the difference between the the two games here. Like, basically, I've I owned the very first FIFA back in the day, FIFA '94. So, me and my family, we bought. So, I have been rolling with FIFA ever since the beginning. I've been rolling <laughs> since the days of ISS. So. Those are the days of ISS on N664, International Superstar Soccer. So, you know, I've been way back. And the thing with FIFA is that FIFA is literally like Call of Duty. As in... It's, it's not literally anything. FIFA is literally like a war game. Shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like Call of Duty in the sense of like, it's this huge, massive behemoth of a franchise where every single year they make... A little bit of a change, but not that big, and they still sell hugely. If you want to buy a game that best represents football, it's Pro Evo. Pro Evolution is the closest to how it feels to really play football games. So look past the graphics, look past the FIFA license, even if it's actually quite rude that FIFA, as an organization, you don't actually allow other games to use a license. So only one game and one publisher can hog that license, which I find very ridiculous. But thing is that when you go to the gameplay, it's always been pro pro Like pro it feels like you know this is how a football match feels. FIFA feels like an arcade. It feels like if you're just playing a video game, you're not playing like a simulation. I, so, I, I actually got that feeling. Like I'm not really big on like shooters and stuff like that, but I did get the feeling, like as you said, that FIFA resembles more like Call of Duty, whereas Pez is more kind of like a battlefield kind of deal. So uh, I said this. So I I've been reviewing FIFA games professionally now since FIFA 13. Carl just throwing that little tidbit in there for us. Go ahead. So I, I played Pro Evolution all throughout the PlayStation 2 years. Um, it was far and above the best game on the PlayStation 2. And then we made the jump to HD to PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. FIFA just skyrocketed and became the, the superior game. I think FIFA 09 was the true game where FIFA became the best um, on that console. And I think what's very interesting now is the two games are so wildly divergent. There's no point comparing them anymore. 
I think FIFA has now reached the pinnacle of FIFA-style football. So if you play a game of FIFA and no one's had a shot on goal for maybe two minutes, it feels unusual, doesn't it? Mm. You're supposed to have fun. Um, yeah, you're supposed to have fun. And FIFA, FIFA has spent a long time refining that technique. So FIFA 18 right now, there's there's a real advanced physicality to it. Uh, they've improved crossing. You're going to score a lot more headed goals in FIFA 18 compared to FIFA 17. They've, they've added loads more uh, attacking animations. So if you're using someone like Dybala or Ronaldo or Bale, they've got four or five extra tricks into taking out defenders. Whereas you compare it to Pro Evo, something I said... Uh, in my reviews last year is there is nothing in FIFA that is quite as satisfying as making a really good crossfield ball in Pro Evolution Soccer. There is something about the weight of the football and the sound it makes when your boot hits the ball and and like the way it travels across the pitch that your brain that is particularly appealing um, that your brain recognizes this is what football looks like. This is what football looks like when it's on television. And it's a shame that Pro Evolution Soccer will never have the licenses and that it will never have the commentary because I believe Pro Evolution Soccer now is as good as what it used to be back on the PlayStation 2. However, you know, I now have a 60-inch high-definition television. And if I'm going to pay 50, 60 quid for a computer game to play for the next eight months on a high-definition television, I'm going to buy the one that's got all the licenses and it's got the best commentary, which means I'm going to have to play FIFA. So I will say if, if, you're, lo- if you're bored of FIFA right now and you're looking for a change, Give the Pro Evo demo a go. Try it. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Like if you were recommending, like if you had to buy one, which one would you buy? I've already secured a free copy of Pro Evo for my house, so that doesn't help anyone. Look, look. I have. I, I've said, <laughs> I, as Just I, a humble know, brag doesn't help anyone. Like got, if, got, if you're going to spend your both, little, I got both Pro Evo and I got I got both Pro Evo and FIFA 17 for free last year. But if you had told me to buy one, I would have bought FIFA because most of my friends are going to get FIFA and I want to play my friends online. So that's it. Um, If there was a way I could transport Pro Evo's gameplay with FIFA's presentation and polish, that is the perfect football game. I think that's the football game everyone wants. If if you could just mix the two. Yeah, if you could get a game that plays like Pro Evo but looks like FIFA, that's the best football game. But that will never happen. So unfortunately, I'm going to get FIFA because... You know, nowadays I'm just going to get the game that most of my friends play, and that is FIFA because FIFA is the game with the most amount of modes. It's got all the kits. It, it looks nice. I think when Pro Evolution puts effort into making an accurate representation of the top players, they look better than FIFA's star players. So I think Pro Evo Messi looks better than FIFA Messi, and I think Pro Evo Suarez looks better than FIFA Suarez. And maybe that's something to do with their new Barcelona deal. But I think. Yeah, uh, I, I, I honestly, I honestly, in my heart of hearts, would love to recommend Pro Evo. I'd love to tell everyone stop playing FIFA and let's all move over to Pro Evo. But I understand that's never going to happen, so I'm going to keep buying FIFA because I want to play the most amount of people when I go online, and the most amount of people play FIFA, and the servers on FIFA are better. So that's how, where we are right now. You and have both agree basically that like Pro Evo is probably the better game for like someone who's really, really into football. But if you just kind of like football, then it seems like FIFA is the way to go. You know, yeah. it almost like I was playing it, and it, like Pez felt a little bit like two K ish. If anybody knows, like mm-hmm. M- if if anybody yeah. knows, like um M- the the kind of NBA Live versus two K debate, Pez kind of feels like two K, whereas FIFA has that kind of EA NBA Live ish feel to it. You know, um, and, and, and 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 I can see where a lot of people could 
like have hope could be like you know what like if if i really don't care about playing my friends or whatever and i'm just trying to play football then i'm gonna go with pets because it feels more real i i would buy fever still just because i'm i'm used to it it's just more conditioning i guess than anything all right your heroes and villains of the week boris mason heroes the entire arsenal defense bah the cologne fans who were Incredible. The amount of fans they had in the Emirates was incredible. I'm not exactly sure how that happens, but uh, yeah. You know, how the, how did they get all their fans so close to the away end if the, there wasn't some coordinated thing going on? So that was Cologne's biggest game in 25 years, right? So they've been up and down, relegation and whatnot. The biggest thing they had to shout about in a long time was Lucas Podolski. And let me tell you right now, if the biggest thing you've had to chat about is Lucas Podolski, you haven't been enjoying football that long. So to draw Arsenal, one of the historic biggest clubs in England, possibly Europe, uh, it was their version oh, of the Cup uh, Final. No, no, it's not Europe. Stick, stick, stick to England, no, not Europe. Man. Yeah, they haven't really won a European trophy yet, have they? So when the draw was made, Arsenal obviously aren't, weren't particularly happy about playing in Europa League, so there was a large allocation free. So what a lot of Cologne fans did was they became Arsenal members and bought the home allocation fans. So that's why you got loads of German fans in the home section singing songs. Uh, you had loads of fans just coming over from Germany to London just to enjoy the atmosphere um, in the true German football sense of, you know, you don't, in the Bundesliga, it doesn't matter if you have a ticket or not. You just want to go and, and have fun and drink beer and hang out. And while there was a percentage of fans who caused trouble and, and rushed the stewards and got into scuffles with the police, there was, I'd say, a much larger percentage of fans who were just there having a great atmosphere and, and seemed to have a good time. Uh, there's a great read on Copper 90 and on The Guardian from Cologne fans who just like, I was there, I was in the home end, and this is what it meant to me. I'd recommend you read those rather than you read the scaremongering from The Telegraph. <laughs> thank, thank you, God. Like I said, he, he, his other heroes were Valencia and Dybala. His his villains, Everton, Jurgen Klopp, Edinson Cavani, and Marco Silva. That's a bit harsh. That's a big Marco list. Silva. Yeah, uh, Packed Mouse, Heroes, Mustafi, Aguero, Salah, Paulinho. Paulinho, coming good. Getting Barcelona three points. I don't even know what to say. Villains, Pedro for Mr. 1v1. I agree. Palace and FC Cologne for taking five L's to start the season and Everton. The Mosby villains, Arsenal. He spells Arsenal like arse. No. Oh, funny. Clever, clever. Um, whoever decided the FIFA 18 rankings, you uneducated, popularity pandering. Ugh, he's, he's fun. <laughs> EA Sports and Fuff Sunderland. So. Quite the uh, the mouthy heroes and villains from Theo Mosby. Those are just his villains, his heroes. The Good. man reading this tweet, shout. Uh, David Myler and Paulinho. So two votes for Paulinho here. Harry Botzler, Botzler. His villains, or his villain, was Pulis for making me watch the dullest game I've ever seen. Who did I watch Stoke play? It was genuinely god-awful. Stoke played Newcastle. I think he was talking about the Tottenham-Swansea game. Because that was that was really bad, and Spurs need pace and they need to drop Dembele. Whoa, Dembele! They need to b- drop Suzoko. That was a terrible, terrible. I was about to say, God say they dropped Dembele. What's wrong? <laughs> Are you drunk? Are you okay? Um. So my hero of this week would 
probably actually no for me a hero of this week I would say is um we see Aguero and Gabriel Jesus for combining to get that ass against Watford. <laughs> um and my villain of this week would be um fate for injuring Dembele. Um nah, my hero would be I'm tempted to say Wenger, you know. Oh mate, don't do it to yourself. What kind of result at Stanford Bridge? That's all this Wenger hates, man. Bloody hell. Man. I know. Yeah, that, that that would probably be my hero, Vengo or Paulinho. I just think it's funny that a lot, myself included, we're talking about Paulinho being signed, and then he's he's getting Barcelona points. Um, villain of the week. I agree with the Pedro one, missing the one v one, but that's kind of homerism. Villain of the week, Danny Alves. Oh yeah, like you get the ball, you don't get the ball. Like what is that? Like he's a Brazilian man. What do you expect? He's gonna watch. He's gonna watch for his boy. I, th- I think that's stupid. And now, actually, Emery, because he's the one controlling all this. He could put a stop to it immediately. So maybe blaming Alves is, is not going far enough on the on the food chain here. My hero this week is Tony Pulis. Why? Oh. Is, it, is it because he's, he stands up in all of his um, post-match interviews? No, it's it's because he's <laughs> he's uh, he's given Jake Livermore a uh, special dispensation. Um, so Jake Livermore is has been described as mentally tired um in a statement given by Tony Pulis uh for West Brom so uh Jake Livermore is physically fit to play football right now but he's described as not being in the correct headspace to play football and Pulis has publicly backed Livermore and given him mental health leave so he's my hero right now for publicly backing his man and giving him the time off he needs to get his yeah, uh, feel better. Uh, uh, I'll get the quotes up now. Uh, he's such a good player for us that we don't want to risk him going to a deeper, deeper, deeper hole. Uh, just to clarify, the club, both management and me- medical, made the decision, and it was right to take a few days off to rest my body. I didn't take this time off during the summer, during to international duties, and then wanted to do a full preseason with my new teammates. All good in the Livermore household, but thanks to all those who showed concern. Given recent reports about how uh, professional athletes are prone to feeding or suffering from bouts of depression based on whatever reason, be it poor form, homesickness, uh, injury, or or just, you know, sometimes depression gets you, even if everything's going well in your life. It's it's good to have a manager publicly backing his player and giving him the time off he needs. So Mm. Pulis is my hero for the week for that. Uh, my villain, uh, I'll probably make my villain Sky Television for picking four games over the weekend that only gave us five goals and four of those were scored by Manchester United against a very poor Everton side. So the schedule gave us on British TV, we were allowed to watch Crystal Palace versus Southampton, which was a 1-0 to Southampton, uh, Tottenham versus Swansea, which was a 0-0. And on Sunday, we got to watch Chelsea versus Arsenal, which was a nil-nil. And then eventually things were fixed by United beating Evan 4-0. But look, I know you can't show three o'clocks. And I know you ca- it's unfair to shift certain fixtures around because of away fans traveling. But my God, that was a bad selection of football games to watch. So, recommended reads, guys. Have hope. What have you read this week? Have you read anything? Or maybe you could recommend something you wrote on the on the blog or something like that. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, 
a good recommendation. Okay, wait, go to Carl and then I'll um, get right back at you. All right, Carl, you've, you've recommended uh, a few things, but got anything else? Uh, one I re- wanted to recommend for a couple of weeks, but I keep forgetting. It's on shortlist. Uh, so they uh, talk to some very important economics to figure out how much classic transfers will cost in today's market. So they've figured out how much Alan Shearer would cost in today's market, how much Cristiano Ronaldo would cost in today's market, and how much Pele would cost in today's market. It's written by Sam Diss and Tristan Cross. Sam Diss writes Mundial magazine, which is the great football culture magazine. I think issue 11 is coming out in the next coming weeks, and they've got a fantastic 4,000-word feature on David Beckham that you should go check out. That's a print magazine, so you're going to have to subscribe. So go read that. I wrote a piece on Christian Pulisic, or Pulisic, whatever it's called, Christian Pulisic, um, about being pretty much America's, or going to be America's best football player ever, and how he has to fill in the void of Dembele at Dortmund, and the way in which young prodigies or young star players have to be very carefully cultivated and coached both club boys and international. Hmm, sounds interesting. I'll link it. Uh, Carl, what was your second one again? Uh, yes. Uh, it's from Miguel Delaney about what the Europa League could offer Arsenal. And it brings up their last cup run in the UEFA Cup in maybe it was the year 2000. Maybe it was 19. Maybe it was 1999. But yeah, the last time uh, Arsenal played in Europa League, which was their run all the way to the final before they got knocked out by Galatasaray, I believe. I could get that wrong, but they got knocked out on penalties in the final. Um, so it, it's talking about how Wenger, for all his talent, has never won a European trophy, and the Europa League this season might represent his best chance of ever winning a European trophy, which is you know, ridiculous. You know, you know, it's should, really it's... interesting when the the Champions League teams get knocked out because I think there are a few that like you're going to have either Dortmund or Tottenham in there. Tottenham, so. Dortmund, to- uh, Tottenham, or Napoli, Napoli. I don't know why they lost or their first game. Chelsea or Roma, perhaps. Because yeah. I think Atletico is shooting. So they're going to be some tough competition coming down. Oh, um, yeah. Atletico had their very first game in their brand new stadium. And they christened it with a win, uh, thanks to Griezmann. So, uh, yay, Atletico. But that's it. Let's get out of here. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, you guys have been long-winded. But, uh, yeah, this is the Talking Tactics Podcast. We do this every Tuesday. Thank you very much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter get a hold of us there i still don't know what's going on with soundcloud like if soundcloud goes down you guys should probably follow us there follow us on soundcloud while it still exists facebook carl's domain like us on there get us to triple digits i think it's his target by christmas subscribe on itunes you can follow us individually have hope is at as half hope hot 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 all anchor the is at I, I need to sleep or food or something. I'm so, I'm at Daniel to look on Twitter. You can follow me. Um, yeah, let's let's go. This is the Talking Tactics podcast. Sometimes funny, sometimes serious. But is it always for more? Is it? That is the question. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Peace. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health, 
Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.